I'm Morgan Dennis, and this is Storied. Throughout my childhood, my grandfather would take the ferry over from Vancouver and stay with us. He drove a big gray station wagon, some rumbling V8, and piled in the back were the tools of his trade as a commercial painter. He smelled of all that, the paints and the solvents, the heavy canvas tarps, as well as cigarettes and the mints he used to cover them up. My grandfather had a large but firm stomach and strong sinewy forearms. On one of them, through a forest of arm hair, was a blurry tattoo of a heart with a banner that read Mary, my grandmother's name. Any red on the heart or the surrounding roses was long gone by the time I was there to trace the design with my fingertips. He loved to fish, something he had in common with my father, and they would get up early to go to Durant's or Spectacle Lake or to the Deep Cove Marina, where they would set out in my father's aluminum boat to troll for sockeye and rock cod. My grandfather liked to collect oysters, too, but this would require a longer drive up island, and he often just did this by himself. My parents were only in their 20s then, but our next-door neighbors were of my grandfather's generation. Fred, or Freddy, was a World War II vet like my grandfather. He was always in sweaters and long underwear, even in the summer, on account of his work down in the boiler rooms of naval vessels. He had an unnaturally hoarse voice from all the smoke he'd inhaled, and stomach troubles from swallowing oil when one of the ships he was on got sunk. At least, that's the story I remember hearing about him. He mostly kept to himself, but his wife, Vi, was full of spirit, and she and my mother often had tea together. She must have gotten along with my grandfather, because she was often around when he visited. He was a gregarious, likable man, and I remember all of them playing poker, with their little stacks of pennies, until late at our house. I sometimes participated in these games, too, and I also played just with my grandfather. Between hands one time, he said he had to use the washroom. I waited. Finally, I decided to amuse myself by stacking the deck. I gave him an incredible hand. When he returned to our game, I could see him getting excited. But when it came time to show our cards... Mine were, of course, just that much better. I was so proud of myself for pulling it off that I told him what I'd done. I expected him to laugh, but he didn't. It was one of the only times I'd ever seen him angry. Of all those visits, I only ever remember my grandmother accompanying him once. Now, many years after their deaths, it's clear to me that something more was going on with her. While she took good care of their Burnaby apartment, she didn't get out all that much. My grandfather's occasional leave from their small orbit was probably a welcome break for both of them. They were first-generation Ukrainians, both from large farming families in the prairies. When I visited them in their apartment, which I did with some frequency, they would bicker at one another in Ukrainian. Their families were from Kiev and had settled in Manitoba and Saskatchewan. I don't know the circumstances in which they met or really how they would have ended up together. My grandfather's family had much less capital than my grandmother's, which is to say that he was dirt poor. By the time I was in the picture, he wouldn't eat the skins on potatoes because he'd had so many growing up. 
He said he was one of fourteen children. At any rate, if you listened to my grandmother, you would think that he and his family were some sort of second-class citizens. This came through in their quips and asides with one another, things that my mother and her sister also participated in. But I'm sure it went deeper than all that as well. They had to have really loved each other at some point, though. Shortly after I finished graduate school, while working as a researcher for the selected journals of L.M. Montgomery, I spent a lot of time reviewing microfilm of Toronto newspapers from the late 30s and early 40s. My grandmother told me that there was a picture of them there, taken by a journalist when they arrived in the Great Hall of Union Station before my grandfather's deployment to Europe. I knew the approximate date, and it actually didn't take me that long to find them. They were suddenly just there, their faces smiling and pressed together, my grandmother's hair done up in the way of that time, and my grandfather wearing his serviceman's cap. They actually looked a lot like two of my younger cousins. It was like opening a time capsule and discovering your own life looking back at you. I mean, that's exactly what it was like. My grandfather went on to become a medic and survive Dieppe and the Normandy invasion. In Dieppe, they were all pulling back, and he had to jump from the cliffs down onto the beach. With injured knees, he began swimming toward one of the Allied ships. He was almost there when it was shelled, so he turned and swam to another. He also, somehow, survived a German sniper shot to the head. The bullet pierced behind his right ear and exited through his mouth, leaving him half-deaf and shattering his front teeth. He wore full dentures as a result, and I remember the little nebbly scar on the smooth, shiny surface behind his ear. I'm not sure when I would have first heard these stories, but I do think it was fairly early on. I can't imagine that I wouldn't have found them shocking, but it's possible that they were just beyond that, so utterly removed from my sphere of existence that I wouldn't have really known how to take them in. What I could see was my grandfather, that he was there, alive, and in the world, that these incomprehensible stories from the war were just another part of who he was. It was really a lot like his smoking, how it was known to all of us, he never actually kept it secret. The packs were right there in his pocket, but we never actually saw him do it. It was something contained within his private life. When he visited us, he might announce that he was going for a walk, and my parents and I understood what this meant. Time for a cigarette. I was inseparable from my grandfather, and I'm sure that another reason for his frequent trips to the island was to spend time around me, his first and at that point only grandchild. But when I said I was going with him on these walks, it was to prevent him from lighting up. Clearly, I was having some fun with it. My parents would have known what I was up to. I'm sure they smiled at one another about it, and they didn't stop me. But I don't doubt that I thought I was saving him. This would have all been when I was between 5 and 10. However, during one visit, I was 12, my parents had gone out and my grandfather and I were sitting on our front steps. 
To my great surprise, he pulled out his cigarettes. They were vantage menthols, a little green and red bullseye on the front of the package. He put one in his mouth and then, perhaps as an afterthought, held the pack to me and said, Want one? I took it from him. I don't remember hesitating. He held up his lighter and sparked it to the tip of the cigarette. Maybe he told me to draw in the smoke, like sucking on a straw. That would have been a good illustration. But maybe he had said nothing at all, and I got things going on my own, intuitively. I remember the cool, pleasant taste of the menthol. It didn't occur to me to inhale, and perhaps he wasn't paying close enough attention to teach me the proper way to do it. We sat there on the steps, puffing. He told me not to tell anyone, and left me with one more cigarette, which I kept hidden in my room and smoked by myself at some later date when my parents were not at home. I should step back and say that he was taking a real risk by doing any of this. There would have been major consequences for him, from my mother and from my grandmother. He was never taken too seriously in the family, that was my impression, at least, and they would have made him pay greatly for such an infraction. It's hard for me to imagine how it would have been worth it for him. That summer, as usual, I went to stay with my grandparents in their high-rise in Burnaby. I loved hanging out there. I would watch soap operas with my grandmother during the day, swim in the pool downstairs, and accompany my grandfather on his various errands. I took the ferry over on my own, and he was there waiting for me, leaning against the hood of that station wagon. As soon as we got in the car, out came the menthols. He passed the pack over to me, and we lit up. For the entire visit, when we were on our own, we smoked. I wanted to branch out and try some other brands. Sportsman and Export Egg Green were two that had caught my eye in stores. The export packages just looked so regal, like something a sailor might smoke. And Sportsman? There just seemed like no other choice. I told him what I wanted, and he bought them for me. I recall the Sportsman being a bit of a disappointment because they were unfiltered. I kept getting little bits of tobacco in my mouth, and the strength of the nicotine felt funny in my tongue. Miraculously, I never threw up, or, more importantly, got addicted. I still wasn't inhaling. There were even other times in my later adolescence when I tried to take up the habit. Many of my friends smoked, and something about the ritual of it, those packages and the foil wrappings, that clean, sweet smell of unburned tobacco, held for me an enormous appeal, as did the connection to my grandfather, but it just never took. The question remains, why did my grandfather do this? Why did he take such a risk, if not for himself, then for me? Clearly, by today's standards, it was a complete fail for someone who was acting as my guardian. Even then, it wasn't great. Was it simply a matter of him being selfish, wanting to smoke and thinking I was old enough to do it around me, that I could keep a secret? Or did he see me growing up and was just looking for a new way for us to relate, a trade-off? from the close bond we had shared when I was little. It can feel almost trivial to call him to question it all, given what he survived during the war, not to mention those potato skins, and after all that, raised two daughters who had four children between them. By all accounts, a remarkable life. 
But for all he knew, his decision to let me smoke could have turned me into a smoker, and let's face it, the decision could have one day done me in. On a separate note, my mother and grandmother always had a difficult relationship, and by the end of that year, they had a falling out and never spoke again. Of course, my father and I were pulled along with that, and I didn't see my grandparents for almost a decade, when I was old enough to reach out and reconnect with them on my own. But by that time, my grandfather had lost nearly all of his hearing, and it was my grandmother that I made up for lost time with the most. My grandfather sitting reading watching television, or just staring off. We had marathon phone conversations, too, the two of us. She told me more about her own life, for instance how she and her sister, Sally, had picked tobacco in Tilsonburg, Ontario, during the war, or about an apartment they had shared in Toronto, where I lived then and still live. This is what she would have been about to do when that picture was taken at Union Station, and I still wonder, as I walk through the streets of this city, what life would have been like for her back then. The way she spoke about it, she actually made it sound like those were her best days, and I think they actually might have been. She had marriage under her belt, though with none of the complications. Not yet. I'm certain that she and her sister didn't spend too much time cooped up in that apartment. As for my grandfather, those two weeks we spent secretly smoking represent the last time I really connected with him. No one ever found out about the cigarettes, at least not when it would have mattered. When it finally occurred to me to tell my mother, a few years before her death, she just laughed. Thanks for listening. If you're new here, Story deals with stories from my past and present. They're memories and moments that I'm trying to make some sort of sense of, or just feel like capturing. It's kind of a memoir in podcast form. If you enjoyed what you heard and think someone else might as well, please pass it along. A review, if you have time, would also be appreciated. I have so much more to say about my grandparents, things that didn't fit within the narrative arc of this particular story. My grandfather, for instance, was a very religious man. It's something I often forget about him because it was so dismissed by his wife and daughters. He took it underground. My grandmother, for her part, had a near-death experience as a girl while swimming. She claimed to see the light. I'll return to both of my grandparents in later episodes. I have some great photographs of them from their youth and from the time when I knew them. I'll be posting those to my Instagram account, which is in the show notes. Music from this episode is from Pixabay. If you'd like to reach out to me with any comments or questions, feel free to connect at thestoriedpodcast at gmail.com. Let me know too if you know of any other podcasts that are similar to this one. I'm always on the lookout. If you like this kind of thing, you might want to check out Forever is a Long Time. I discovered it by accident on Reddit over the weekend and binged it. It's only five episodes, 
and is about someone recently married who is coming to terms with the fact that absolutely everyone in his family has been divorced. Each episode is an interview with a different family member, and it's really great storytelling, and the host is looking to gain insights about himself as much as he's trying to understand his family. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.